0: Good morning. morning. First of all, I don't know who that was, Pastor Brent was talking about, (laughs) preaching all over the country. I don't think so. Um, You know, uh, I am like super duper nervous right now. And that's a great sign for me because when I'm nervous, that means that I'm not relying on me. I'm relying on the Lord. Uh, I'm also standing here with mixed emotions right now. You know, a lot has happened this past week. uh, And um, I have a lot of joy because this is a great privilege to be able to stand where my pastor stands and ministers to the house. This is like a huge privilege, you know. And if I do it right, I might get invited back. (laughs) (laughs) But also, too, you know, we're facing just a big challenge in this nation right now, and there's a lot of things that's being talked to us or told to us or programmed towards us, but no one's really talking about the evil. That's the source of it. You know, that's a big challenge for us, and in all of these things and all these voices, you know, we would need to make sure that the voice of the Lord is in the midst of all of these things, and it's not even about quoting scripture or anything like that. Sometimes it means that somebody who just believes and trusts in God is present and does and says the things that he says that we should say and do, and we show a stark contrast to what's going on in the world, is that the people who are thirsty for the truth, that they know that they can't do this on their own, when they see us there and we're operating in a way that's very different than what's going on around them, then they may ask the same question that they asked to Peter after he preached that tremendous sermon what must I do to be saved? And I've been struggling with this, you know, when, you know, the message and things. I I was going to do this great introduction, you know, and talk about my family and all of those things, but, you know, you'll meet them. They're over there. (laughs) (laughs) My wife, my daughter, my mother, and uh, a great friend of ours, too, uh, from work here. Some other folks here might be visiting that we know that come to support. But, um, you know, I've just been really struggling with it. When Pastor Brent had asked me to come and, and to share the word today and to, and to step into the series. You know, there's this great anticipation, you know, Jonah. I get to study Jonah, you know, and I love studying the Bible. I love getting into character studies. I want to get deep into Jonah, and I want to go past the VeggieTale videos I used to watch with my daughter about Jonah. <laughs> Trust me, my theology is not coming from the VeggieTale videos, although they were pretty faithful to the Bible, but there's something different today. Okay? <laughs> And then I had this sermon and all ready to go, you know, and, but then these things happen. And I just thank God that I've been under the tutelage and leadership and mentoring of great men and women of the faith to so just say, you know what, always be listening to God. You may think you're going in this direction, but he may say, turn left. You know, I remember walking with my daughter at the mall, you know, and she break hand when she's a little girl, you know, we're walking together and she's looking up at me. I'm looking at her and we're together. We're linked, you know, but sometimes in the busy holiday season, lots of people get around you. And there's one time where we missed hands and we were walking together and I was doing something on my phone. I looked and where'd she go? She was only about three or four feet from me and there was a person between us. But I still had this panic. Where's my child? You know, and she looked around like where's where's my dad? And that's what I didn't want to happen standing in front of you today being able to share this message is that I don't want to walk around and go, wait a minute, where's God in all of this? That'll get you disinvited. <laughs> <laughs> so, know so much about that. You'll learn about me and my family as we go along. And, and hopefully that you'll see a lot about my heart as we go into this message today. Okay. Uh, now, our focal verses you know, comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. And it says, therefore, we also... Uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. Wow. Now, these verses, you're going to hear them as we go through more characters in the Running with Giants series. We're Running with the Giants series. But when we look at these verses, we have to go back into chapter 11, like Pastor talked about in the previous two times. But we have to take a look at why is it there for? What is this passage there for? And so the writer of Hebrews gives us this overview of all of these people of the faith who had went on and done great things, but they had to keep their eye on God the whole time. They could not have done any of the things that they have done through their own strength. That's why it says by faith. By faith Moses, by faith Rahab, by faith Gideon, by faith Samson. All of these things kept saying that they kept their eyes transfixed on God and what he was doing, what he was promising to bring them and what we come to know as Jesus Christ. They did their part to be able to usher the way for who we know as Christ and what he came to do. And so it's by faith that we need to walk forward in what we need to do. It's by faith. It's by faith that we're going to have a word to share with somebody whose heart is breaking. It's by faith that we have to confront injustice. And when you go back and look through chapter 11 you'll find that they did not have an easy path. Some were tortured. Some were beaten. Some refused to be let out of torture and to say that, you know what, the more you beat me, the more I'm going to praise God. And so let's not get fooled into this commercialized sense of Christianity. Being a child of the king means that we will have to take a risk sometimes. But it's by faith not by some slip-talking motivational speaker standing on a platform with a nice shirt, not me, but, (laughs) but when we have our eyes transfixed on Christ and we are becoming more like him and we stay in this word and we pray and we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us, then maybe in some not too distant future, people will be saying that, you know, by faith, this person of our church did this. And by faith, Pastor Brent did that. And by faith, Mary did this. And by faith, Joe did that. And they made a difference in the world by faith. So if you were here from the beginning of this great series, you might have recalled that the first giant of the faith was the prophet Isaiah that Pastor Brent had talked about. And in his sermon, he said that, And I love the premise of this. He said that, you know, we have this great cloud of witnesses and they see us running this race and they want us to run with endurance. And this great cloud of witnesses is coming to us through the word of God, sharing their experiences with us to encourage us to keep on running. No matter the obstacle, no matter the challenge, no matter the risk, and sometimes no matter the victory, because sometimes when we get a good win, we like to sit down. (laughs) But we keep on going and run it all the way until the end either until Christ comes back or until somebody says ashes, ashes, and dust to dust over us. Whichever way it goes, keep on going. But the premise that he offered us was he said that, that what if they were able to step out of their time and into our time? What is the one thing that they would have to say based on the totality of their experience with God? The summary of what we may find in those books or chapters where we find their names. What is the one thing? And so for us, from Isaiah, the one thing the pastor shared with us is God wants your heart. It was true back in Isaiah's day, and it's true still today. He wants all of us. Not just the little parts that are broken. Not when we're just feeling good. And like Don talked about today. That it may be hard to give God praise today, but we still have to. We still fight forward. That's why we revive our own hope. When we loosen up our tongues and give him praise, we can talk ourselves into a whole lot of things, can't we? Can't we? Oh, oh, see the the sale at the mall. Don't think that we can't talk ourselves into some (laughs) things, right? Well, it works the same way, too. By preaching to ourselves from the Scriptures, by serenading God in songs of praise and worship We can bring ourselves out of the fear and back into the understanding of the three things Christ gave to us love, power, and a sound mind. Now, I'm not good at math, but three beats one every day. Then, Pastor talked with us too about the giant of the faith, Deborah. And she was one of the judges of Israel, but she was also a prophetess and she was also a great leader. And Pastor said that if she were able to step out of her time into our time, she would tell us, if you want a a life of victory, you need a bigger vision. We're a part of a tremendous vision. This church is planted in this community to help people take their next step in faith. That's part of the reason why Pastor gave us these, these bracelets. And I wear it from time to time. Next step. It's always about the next step. With God, there's always more. With God, there's always something to do. With God, there's always something that can be fixed. With God, there's somebody that always needs to be rescued. With God, there's always somebody who lost that needs to be found. There's always the next thing for us. But the bigger vision that we're tied to in all of this is the one that Jesus said, one of the last things he said before he left this earth. Go into the world and make disciples of all people. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as we see all the turmoil that's going on all around us right now, the mission hasn't changed. Matter of fact, even the more so it's needed to share that. And you don't have to be a great theologian to go out and talk about this. You know what you need? Your testimony. That's all. You need to connect with somebody and talk with them about what Christ has done for you and in you. And in that moment, he'll be working through you. Wow. I'm still, I, I'm, I'm really trying to find my way in here. So, you know, I appreciate you guys' rapt attention. That's good. That's good. <laughs> you know, so, but here we are now today taking a look at uh, this third giant of the faith, and that's Jonah. And I'm telling you that this was a tremendous experience for me to be able to study Jonah and to take a look at him and his life. And so the first point that I want to be able to share with you about uh, this message, um, by the way, the message title is, you <laughs> I am nervous. <laughs> no, but the, the message title is to embrace your purpose. If Jonah was able to step out of his time into our time, he would walk right up to us and say, you know, I've had time to think about writing that book before I wrote that book that bears my name. And in all the things that I was able to do, God called me to be a prophet. And he was also been able to use, as some Bible historians said, that he was also a statesman, where at a certain point in Second Kings, he was able to deliver a prophecy stating that God would be able to give back some of the northern territory that had been taken by the Assyrians that had overrun the country, the northern kingdom, that had taken some of the people into captivity, and Israel never really recovered from that. Those people never came back they were put to death, they were put to slavery, they were dispersed all throughout the Assyrian empire. But God worked through Jonah, and he was able to be able to deliver a prophetic word. He said that, I am going to give you back that territory. But some Bible historians said that Jonah was also part of the negotiating team to be able to re-establish those boundaries. So Jonah was a statesman too, but it wasn't really about him being a statesman in the book of Jonah. It was more about him being God's prophet. And when I began to really read it and look at it as a character study and, and, and tried to sift through the theological points that was in it, I really saw the humanity of Jonah. This is an autobiographical piece. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I pull off an autobiography off a bookshelf... A lot of times, the people who wrote their own stories they tend to gloss over the bad parts, and they tend to emphasize the good stuff. Right? Not Jonah. When you read that book, it's raw. He, under inspiration, gives a full accounting of his response to his to the command of God to go preach to the people who were terrorizing his people, and the consequences thereof, and even his struggles thereafter. He did preach. It is raw and riveting. It's only 48 verses in four chapters, but it is one of the most epic stories that you'll be able to read in about 10 minutes. I challenge you to take a look at it. But the first point that I want to be able to introduce us to is God will not give you a command that's misaligned with your purpose. God will not give you a command that's misaligned with your purpose anything that God's got marked out for you to do to participate in his salvation plan for this world, it has thoroughly been vetted and it fits you, is shaped for you, the struggles are the right size for you, the resources are the right size for you, the partnerships that you need to have are for the right size for you. Whenever God gives a command, it's not a mistake, it's not say, hey, go get that done, and I hope that works. Never so. Never so. Not with God. But we see, though, that in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Go and preach to the great city of Nineveh, because their wickedness has come up before me. In God's plan and in his timing, he says, I need to do something about this sinful nation. Now, if you were just a regular Hebrew at the time, you're thinking like, yeah, he's going to smite them. he's going to wipe them out that's what we want. We want you to go and fight our battles for us, just like you did when we was coming through the promised land, just like you did in the wilderness. Take care of our enemies, right? But that's what you would want. Haven't they taken part of your country? Haven't they taken your friends captive? Haven't they destroyed that way of life in the northern kingdom? Isn't that what we want? That's the natural way of thinking, right? But God has something else on his mind, and he wanted Jonah to be a part of it. So what God asked him to do was just go be my prophet, And we don't have to assign some great big definition to what a prophet is. A prophet simply means that you're chosen by God, you heard a message from God, and your job is to go and deliver the mail to the recipients that are supposed to read it. Nothing spectacular about that. Right-sized command, right person. But Jonah, instead of going and following through on what God wanted him to do, he decided to go off in the other direction. And it made me stop and ask, well, why is that? Why did the rebellion rise up so quickly in Jonah where he was happy to be used of God? He was used as a statesman, almost like a secretary of state for the kingdom. He had this relationship with God. In some ways, I'm sure he trusted God. But what caused Jonah to go in the opposite direction? God said go 500 miles from the point where you are to Nineveh, but he decided to go 2,000 miles in the opposite direction to Tarshish. I had to ask God, what what is that all about? Well, when we take a look at the Bible, it's good for all peoples at all times, right? You know why it's good that way? Because nothing has changed about us since the fall. Human nature is basically the same. Left to our own devices, we'll probably choose things that have nothing to do with God's plan. So when I'm looking back in Jonah's time, about 760 B.C., I'm taking a look at today. What were the pressures that Jonah might have been under that caused him to say, you know what, God, that's a really good thing that you told me to do, but I think I'm going to go this way instead? Well, maybe there could have been hatred and anger towards the people who enslaved your people, abused your people, murdered your people, taking the promised land away from them. Maybe there was such a hatred in Jonah that he didn't want to see them saved. But you know what, too? Being a prophet also meant that you were a public figure, that you were seen. People know when when Jonah's coming, what's he going to say? Okay, everybody stop and listen. Maybe Jonah was under some social pressure, cultural pressure from his own people. Dude, you're going to go and preach to who? And tell them what? You can't be serious, Jonah. Save the people who oppressed us? Really? Really? They're not of our tribe. They're not of who we are. They're not our people. They're not where we're from. Jonah, you're going to go and you're going to help out our enemies? Does that sound familiar today? It sounds like the political discourse. Sounds like neighborhood against neighborhood. Crips and blood, Tupac and Biggie, East Coast, West Coast, you know. It sounds like people were placing their agenda above God's agenda. And so I can understand why Jonah ran in the other direction because it had struck home with me. As I was reading these things, I had to examine myself against the word of God and say, okay, Lord, who am I avoiding? Who's hurt me that I don't want to go talk to? Who has different beliefs than I do that I'm shunning, that when I get around them, all I can do is say, hey, Bob, how you doing? And keep walking when God really wants me to sit down and engage with that person and involve myself, not in a relationship, but in a fellowship, a deep abiding knowing and being known and exchange. I was challenged by that when I heard that. So I can understand why Jonah would have ran in the other direction. And as we understand how the story goes, is that how this historical account goes, is that Jonah then, he buys a ticket, he gets on a boat, Now, he is totally outside of his purpose now. His purpose was to go to preach to Nineveh, but now he is joined up with some people who are already on their purpose. Those sailors and that ship, all the cargo and all the equipment and everything on it was designed and made to be able to go to Tarshish. They were going in the right direction for what their purposes was, but Jonah was not going. Now, that made me really dig into that one. And it made me stop and think that when my purposes have been misaligned with other people's purposes, I wonder if there's ever been some stormy seas. (laughs) You know, we kind of see this on the job, right? (laughs) Organizations have missions, right? Organizations have goals, but we find that sometimes some people may have their own thoughts of how things ought to go. And what happens? Well, we find the ship on stormy seas. Now, I'm not asking you to pull an HR move like they did and toss those folks overboard. You have to pray about those things. But ultimately, that's what had to happen with Jonah. As they were going through all those stormy seas, that they went down beneath, and Jonah was sleeping beneath, and they had to wake him up, and they said, hey, you need to pray to your God. We're up here praying to our God. We've got to figure out how to be able to save this ship. And as the story goes, you know, they did find out that Jonah was the reason why, and he said, hey, you know what? I'm a Hebrew, and I serve the God of the, of the seas and the, and the earth. He was quoting out of Genesis when he said that, identifying that I serve the almighty and supreme God. And they say, Well, dude, pray to him. You got to fix this. And then Jonah had to tell on himself. He said, You know, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. That's why you guys are experiencing this. Understand something, folks, about sin. It's not happy if it's just consuming you, it also wants to consume the people around you. Don't think for a moment that it's only going to affect you the thing, the secret thing, the hidden thing. It's going to hurt relationships, it's going to hurt your reputation. And it may cause somebody who's weak in the faith to be able to say, so what's this God you serve? Really? He can't stop you from doing it? What's wrong with you? Sin is not happy. It's like a fire. It won't stop until it has consumed everything or it has been extinguished. And And the seas and the waves and all of the storm, it didn't stop until they tossed Jonah overboard. And even then, they didn't want to do it. But they saw the magnificent power of God and they prayed to that God by faith and said, please do not apply this man's blood to our hands. And tossed him over. <laughs> okay. Because he said that's what you needed to do. But we know, too, that when Jonah hit the water, what happened? Instantly the seas ended, right? Okay. Now, we would think that with all of these things happening with Jonah that he might want to get right and he might want to change his mind, you know. And so he hits the water, and then right after that, at the end of verse 1, it says that a big fish came along and swallowed him, okay? Now, we say, we have to say big fish. It's not whale. In the Jonah Veggie Tale story, it was a whale, okay? <laughs> Plenty of room in it, and they had a party, and there was a soundtrack and all of that. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was a huge fish, and it's actually properly interpreted as a sea monster, You know, I was watching the Discovery Channel, you know, Shark Week and all that other stuff. You know, they talked about the big nurse shark and it could swallow a human being. It eats plankton. But then I saw on the Discovery Channel, too, I watched some other programs with my daughter. I'm trying to drag my daughter. Okay, okay, I watched the Discovery Channel. So, and I saw that there's these huge, huge fish that live near the bottom that we don't know much about, and they could conceivably, conceivably swallow a person whole. Now, I don't think that this is a stretch of the imagination, really, because if God created the world and everything in it, how come he couldn't prepare a fish to swallow his prophet? Stands the reason. But as we take a look at this, though, that, that fish was prepared for Jonah to save him from drowning. If you take, if you take the time to read and I have just other scriptures here. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm just going to ask you to please just close your eyes and allow me to read these passages to you. And I want you to visualize what Jonah was experiencing. He's writing this in hindsight. But I just want to read to you six verses from Jonah chapter 2. It says, from inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, for the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas. And the seas swirled around me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Now, verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought me up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah was drowning. Jonah couldn't swim. Jonah was tossed overboard into a situation that was truly over his head. It said that the seaweed was wrapping around his head. He's sinking down He said he was sinking down to the depths of the base of the mountains. You know that islands are actually the tops of submerged mountains? That's how far down he was. And then it said that the earth barred him in. Somehow, some way, he either got stuck in the muck and couldn't free himself, or maybe some rock tumbled on top of him. But Jonah was, for all intents and purposes, entombed until the fish came. Now, (laughs) what occurred to me in that moment was that Oftentimes when we need deliverance from the situations that engulf us, we don't have the luxury of picking how God comes. <laughs> He's thinking life raft, boat, dude can, can dive and hold, his walk, and hold his breath, right? But what did God do? God dialed up a fish. A big enough, and not only that, but not just bring him up, but God says, and you'll be there for three days. Now, I don't know about you all, but as I watch this and I think about sometimes my own little rebellion and things and how maybe God shut doors that I couldn't open and I had to go through things, this kind of makes me want to not go through that anymore because I can't pick how God's going to come. He's going to come, but I can't choose how he's going to come. And sometimes maybe the method of delivery is sometimes maybe worse than what we're going through. But you know what that's for? to help us to understand the contrast of being obedient and disobedient. Because with obedience, there is blessings, but disobedience, well, you just get what happens to you. That was a pretty strong reaction there. That's how I felt when I was reading that, too. I was like, oh, my God, okay, you know what? Hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm solid. I'm really good, God. Okay. But with this point, though, the second point that we want to make with this is that a near-death experience can influence one's perspective. That was blatant, wasn't it? A near-death experience can often influence one's perspective. There's been a lot of people who have gone through calamity. They may have had some type of disease that was undiagnosed, and now here it is. And now all of a sudden, I want to pray to God. I want to meet him in his holy temple. I'm going to cry out to him. Sometimes we may lose someone very close to us. And oftentimes, the better better dynamics I've ever seen at funerals was always when the invitation is being made when the minister is able to be to be able to characterize what has happened with this individual and if that person has died in the faith they talk about the hope that we have for that person we will see them again because in that moment and this is not manipulation at all but in that moment we are thinking about our own mortality and at my father's funeral my father was a character until he was 63 years old and he surrendered his life to christ he was a drug addict and alcoholic until he, till the age of 63, my mom was a praying woman. When you see her, when you leave her, just high-five that woman. She was a praying woman for 40-something years before my father got right. But after that, though, his life was fully transformed, he became a deacon, a leader. He became a father we needed. He became the husband she's always wanted. He became the community member we needed. And then for seven years, he led a great life, and then he died. But when his life was reviewed, and they saw that his latter was greater than his former— The invitation was given at his funeral and this one man stood up and he said i want what he had and that was the first time i ever saw somebody come to salvation at a funeral that's a true home going party but then also too we see people who might get incarcerated they get locked up and there's a whole lot of jailhouse confessions of faith because we don't want to be locked up we want to get out we want our freedom there's often things that may co- we feel may coerce us, but they were things that may come into our life that will cause us to open up our eyes. It was dialed up to get our attention, to be able to put the focus back on God. But we recognize too, though, that even though that there's a near-death experience, as we'll see when we get later on in the chapter four, that Jonah went back to where he was before. After he comes out of the fish and the fish spews him up on dry land, and he now is, he's trekking towards Nineveh. He's like, you know what? I'm here, I'm alive, I'm partially digested, I don't smell good, but God came to me again and said, hey, the message hasn't changed, prophet, go and deliver the mail. And so what happened? He is booking now towards Nineveh. He is making his way 500 miles, no sweat, no problem, I don't care. And he shows up and he's coming to deliver the message of salvation. It wasn't just about their destruction. There was way more in it. And when I read what the other theologians had to say about all of this, that they said that Jonah preached a mighty sermon. He came up on this great big city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was actually a part of a, plex, a metroplex of about four other cities. But the city itself was about, miles, about eight miles around. It was, but it was very densely packed with people. 120,000 people resided in this city. And the Bible tells us that it would take about three days journey to be able to see all of Nineveh. Not that it would take you three days to walk around it. It was only eight miles around. But there was just so many places, so many people, so many public squares, so many buildings, so many things to do. It took him three days to be able to go through the entire city and to preach a message of deliverance. But Jonah was a part of a larger plan that he even knew about. Because as I did more study on this, I found that Jonah showed up about 760 BC, but about 765 BC and 763 BC, there had been two plagues that had torn through the Assyrian empire and killed hundreds of thousands of people. Two plagues. And then right before Jonah showed up, there was a total eclipse over their empire. Now, today we see Ebola and we say, get, get, get some type of, you know, shot for that. And then we see an eclipse where we know when it's coming, so we're not really too worried about that. Just don't look up at the sun. We don't think about that. But back in that time, plagues that showed up for no apparent reason and a total eclipse of the sun meant that God had a problem with you. And so now here comes Jonah. The Assyrian kingdom is already wondering what's going on. The Syrians are already wondering, who is this God and why is he angry at us? And then here comes this fish-smelling prophet. (laughs) And I say that because the Bible historians say that he had to bear the marks or the condition of what he went through. As he preached to these people, they already had these other harbingers of death on their mind. But then they're also looking at this half-digested prophet walking around saying that God wants you to change your ways. Later on in chapter 4, God said this is a group of people that did not know the right hand from the left. Meaning that they, they were so deep in the generational sin, they did not know what truth and righteousness looked like. They had no clue about justice. But here's a group of people where God wanted to show his awesome salvation power to the entire world. And he was picking Jonah to do it. And this is what Jonah was running away from. Well, the third point for us to be made from this passage of Scripture is that a timely and inspired word from God can transform hearts. You know, this is why it's important for us to go share our testimonies. In the book of Revelations, we read that we overcame him, him being the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the words of our testimony. Christ already shed his blood. So it sounds like then that the rest of this is up to us. If we want to overcome the stuff that we see on the news that's happening in the streets, Christ has already shed his blood. So where's our testimonies? That's how we overcome. And this is Jonah's place. Jonah was kind of a pre-Christ image, if you will. And he came and he preached this message of salvation. And it has such a profound effect on those folks Let me just read a little bit for you from Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Jonah began uh, by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah was uh, warning, reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Wow you know, from from my old days in the old Baptist church I'm part of, they said they got saved from the guttermost to the uttermost. But when you look at that, there was compelling evidence. Something had happened in the the order of the miraculous with Jonah. On top of that, God was already working in the lives of the Assyrians, the Ninevites. And now you have someone who is being obedient to God, reluctant at first, but now he's totally in on this, and he's preaching a tremendous message that dwarfed the number of people who got saved at the preaching of Peter. 120,000 people got saved. Now, we sometimes toss out the hyperbole when we look at large numbers like that. We say, man, everybody and their dog got saved. <laughs> but, you know, that's not too far from the truth because the king says we're all going to fast. Matter of fact, the animals can't eat a drink and have them sit in and ash and put some sackcloth on them, too. It was serious. But what it said, too, though, when you look further on in those verses is that the king took off his robes. He removed everything that had him tied to his authority and to his earthly power, and he put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Where did they learn that from? The Israelites. That was a clear indication that you were either grieving the death of someone or that you were grieving over your own sin that has been exposed. It was a picture of repentance, this was amazing, but it was also inspiring because 2,700 years ago, 120,000 people decided to give their lives to Christ. Can you imagine what would happen today if that happened? Well, get past imagining it. We're able to make that happen. That can happen. And it's going to happen wow but as i wind this in a bit we talked quite a bit about jonah and his story and we talked about his candidness and we talked about his honesty but we also recognized too in chapter four that after jonah had preached a tremendous sermon and 120,000 people got saved you know what he did he didn't run through the city high-fiving folks and trying to get a shower none of that you know what he did? He went to a vantage point overlooking the city because he was hoping God was going to change his mind. See, that's the danger of making a professional faith based upon circumstances around you. The house can be on fire and we say, oh, Lord, oh, my God, and run to him. Because when the situation gets real good, a lot of times we forget about God. That's why it's important to maintain your own personal relationship. This is snacking today. This is a snack. The meal happens when you crack the spine of your own Bible and you read it and you pray. The meal happens. The nourishing happens when you believe that word and apply your gifts to the people around you to build up the body of the saints and to go and make a difference in the world, making disciples. That's when we're nourished, not just in the taking it in, but the nourishment is there to provide for us everything that we need to be able to make disciples of all people. That's us embracing our purpose. Jonah was kind of almost there, but then he stepped back away from it. A big challenge. This closing passage and the last point I want to make for us is that I hope that in some small way, and I'm not the greatest preacher like Pastor Brent, he's quite animated, keeps you engaged. But I hope that the Holy Spirit has done something to cause you to examine yourself. And I want to take that examination point just a little bit further. At times we may behave like Jonah, point four, but our goal is to resemble Christ. Sometimes we follow God and sometimes we kind of shrink away from him. Sometimes we're a little resistant because maybe we don't like the command or whatever the challenge may be. But our goal is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is to be able to share a passage out of 2 Corinthians. And it says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, I can go backwards into that passage, but I'm looking at the time that we have right now, so I'm going to go forward to the example to be able to help to illustrate to you what this should mean to us. Okay? What I want to do is be able to draw a contrast between what Jonah was and what he demonstrated himself to be and who we're supposed to be conformed to, Jesus Christ, right? So, but there are some similarities in between the two. First of all, Jonah and Jesus, they were both prophets. Second, they shared the gospel with Gentiles. Third, miracles were evident in their ministries. They were entombed for three days and they were both used by God to bring about salvation. They got a lot in common. The Bible historians said that Jonah's account was kind of a precursor of Christ's account. And even Christ gave validity to Jonah's um, experiences when he said that I will point to him as a sign for what's about to happen to me. So this is not some whale tale. When Christ said this happened, and I'm going to point to this as an example for what's about to happen to me, well, we recognize this. This is a historical account. But here's where their roads diverge Jonah rejected his purpose while Christ embraced his. Jonah was double minded, but Christ was completely committed. Jonah was cold hearted towards sinners, but Christ had great compassion for sinners. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 33 and 11, God had Ezekiel tell the the Israelites, he said that I don't take any pleasure in the death of sinners. That's why he went to Nineveh. That's why he sent Jonah to Nineveh. And the last one, and this is the one that really struck me, Jonah missed out on God's joy while Christ shared in his joy. You know that every time that we share our faith, we are sharing in the joy of Christ. Every time that we go out and we talk with somebody about who this great God is that we serve, or even just share our testimony and say, this is how I got here, that we are sharing in this joy. But any that we turn away from it, we miss out. Sometimes if we feel hollow inside, we've got to ask ourselves, do we have the heart of Christ? And are we doing the things that he would have done? See, that's the big challenge for us right now. You know, these circumstances that we're facing, I'm not going to say that they're solvable and we're going to have a perfect world because as I read the Bible, it doesn't end that way. But even though it doesn't end that way, that doesn't stop us from being on purpose. As a matter of fact, That's why we were born at this particular time, to engage the community, to engage our neighbor, to point out the things that are injustice. I'm not worried about God being in the justice system. I'm worried about God being in the judge in the justice system. These are systems. These are inanimate things. I'm not worried about God being in the government. I'm worried about God being in my legislator that's in the government but how will they know unless we tell them? Because we've truly been sent. You know, this isn't one of those great passive brand. Ah, and you walk out, and say, I was to set the world on fire. <laughs> no, because I wanted to. I, I reshaped this sermon in a lot of ways, and I had a lot of cool things and I wanted to I. but you know what? We're in serious times. We're in serious times. But there's also a very serious God who's very serious about the lost and his son, Jesus Christ undertook a very serious command to be our substitute on the cross, to take the punishment. If you ever saw the passion of the Christ, it wasn't even close, it wasn't even close If you read Isaiah, it said that he was beaten so bad that his face, you couldn't even tell that he was a human being anymore. And he took that. I'm not going to make it general. He took it for me. If everybody in this room right now was perfect and you never did anything wrong, I am totally convinced that Jesus Christ would have done this for me. And that's the testimony I share. And prayerfully, that's the life that I live. So the challenge for us today trust God. Embrace your purpose. He's already made a way for you to do everything that he would have you to do. God bless you.
1: As the worship team comes forward, we invite you to worship in three ways. Uh, First, uh, I would just add, in Thanksgiving, uh, you were able to overhear a message that God gave Frank, especially for me. Uh, And so (laughs) I appreciate you listening to that. Uh, Just please don't point fingers on your way out. We will worship in three ways now. First, if you have your connection card, if you have a prayer request, We have a time for prayer during the song service, but if you were not able to or did not feel able to uh, come at that time, if you want the prayer team to pray for you, just put it on your uh, connection card. That list goes out to the prayer team, and we will pray for you this week. Secondly, uh, and also on the connection card, if you have anything that questions about the church, concerning the church, uh, any way that you want to get a message to the leadership of the church, put it on the connection card. In a few moments, we'll ask you to come forward. You can drop it in the baskets. We'll explain those in a moment. Uh, Second way we worship, and this is only for members of the church, people that call uh, UCD Family Church their home, we worship through giving god has blessed us financially and so we bring our blessing to him and god uses this money not only for the work of the church but we support a lot of different ministries throughout st louis and even the world and so uh we give as an act of worship again if you do not call u city family church home or you're visited here uh please that was not for you and then the last thing we do is we remember christ It all comes down to this fact for us, that the most important thing is that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. And that gives us hope. And so at the end of the service, we ask those who have accepted that to come forward and partake of the communion meal. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, uh, said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. So we take the bread, we drink the cup, and remember him and the hope that he gives so we have four stations uh midway down the aisles here in front and then a a gluten-free alternative uh, for those who choose and so we invite you to stand up and and worship any of those three ways and if you're not comfortable with any of those three ways then we just ask you to stand consider what's been said and worship the lord
2: dismiss us this morning in prayer I just want to remind you of growth track this would be a good way to take one step if you have not been part of this if you have not taken the steps of gathering together us with us as a body of believers this would be a good day to take a step we'll meet in the lobby gather in the lobby and then we'll go on up to growth track Father we come Thanking you for this opportunity that we had to gather together as a people, as a body of Jesus Christ, to be able to worship, to worship him, to raise up your holy name, to lift you up as the one and only God. Thank you that you have loved us. Thank you that you have provided salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that great hope that we have in him. Father, we have heard your word through your servant, our brother, Frank. Father, may it not just be a little snack that we had this morning, but as even as he has exhorted us. Father, may it be the step that would be there that would take us into your word, that we would be able to just dwell and to nourish upon your word in our own lives. And then, Father, also challenge us to be the second part of that formula. Jesus Christ has already died. He has already shed his blood. The salvation is there. Now, Father, help us to be your witnesses to many that need. What a time, Father. This is the time for that testimony to go forth. Jesus Christ, the God of love. Thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in his strength and in his peace, even today.